Hi, Kyle. This is Charlotte. I'm Matt's mom, and I just watched your wonderful video. I mean, with you know, there there was so so much visuals in your in your talking. It was incredible. I I just loved it. I totally loved it, and uh, it brought together the best glimpses that I had to grow up in in Matt's life and your life. I'm very new on all these little gadgets, but I think your podcast is awesome. And I love the way, you know, you put things together, and I like the way you got, you have know, like a world feeling about everything, too. And I love it. I love it. And I love your whole post. You know, I haven't had a chance to actually listen to anything, but now I do. And you're on my website. If I can never find it again, but I will. That was a message from Matt Meyer's mother, Charlotte. Uh, Matt was a guest on this podcast a few episodes back, and that voice memo just put a smile on my face and warmed my little heart. Uh, Charlotte, you're awesome. Uh, I'll show you how to listen to podcasts on your phone sometime, so you don't need to do it on your computer. But it sounded like it may have been the first one you'd ever listened to, and I'm honored. Welcome. Uh, If any of you want to send me a voice memo, you can just record it on your phone and email it to info at kyle.surf. So yesterday, I sat down on my couch with the intention of watching one Game of Thrones episode, and five hours later, I had blown through all of season six. It was one of those days. Um, But the premise of season six is that Jon Snow, the king of the north, is trying to convince the rest of the kingdoms that the White Walkers are real, the army of the dead beyond the northern wall and he's trying to convince them that everyone needs to put aside their differences and band together to fight the great war the only war that matters but he's having a hard time convincing people uh because they don't think the white walkers are real because they've never seen them before and i was thinking about how that is the problem that Uh, people face when they're trying to explain environmental issues. That's the problem of climate change, except instead of the world icing over with the army of the dead, it is heating up. Because people would rather squabble amongst themselves over issues that they can see and touch and feel um, than band together for a larger issue. And... uh, I was thinking also about how growing up in Santa Cruz, um, you know, the Santa Cruz surf scene is fairly territorial. And I had the privilege of having my dad live on the east side and my mom live on the west side. So half the week I would go surf the west side spots, the other half I'd be on the east side. Um, And it's mellowed out quite a bit. But growing up, you know, I wouldn't wear many red clothes on the east side or blue clothes on the west side. And, uh, you know, growing now, I see how stupid all of that is. This is people who, who 
grew up five miles away from you, but you're taught to hate them. Um, and what a corrosive mentality that is and how common it is um, in towns all around the world. You fight amongst yourselves and ignore the larger outside threat. Um, and I was thinking also about how if you look at a, a multinational corporation like Nestle or Coca-Cola that um, go into communities, they make deals with politicians, they bottle the water, uh, groundwater, and then sell it back to the community um, at many times the price. Nestle, for example, pays an annual rate of $524 to the Forest Service to bottle millions of gallons of water. Um, and I was thinking about how much easier it is for that kind of bullshit to take place when communities are squabbling amongst themselves and how much it benefits these larger outside forces to have um, people at war with each other. Anyway, that was my thought after five hours of sitting on my couch watching got game of thrones and i'm in for season seven I, I watched the first few seasons and then lost interest and now i'm back ready to get the tattoo game of thrones across my back can you imagine would you guys still listen to this podcast if i got a game of thrones tattoo across my back <laughs> via be a hard sell um this episode of the show is with my friend Brendan Rue. And Brendan uh, told me to start this podcast a few years back, and he helped me get it set up. And he's just one of those people who uh, he gives without asking for anything in return. And it's a great mindset because he's successful now. He's the founder of Santa Cruz Medicinals, as you know. Um, and he is a product of uh, the podcasting world, as am I. You know, it's um, it feels a bit like he's the guy who introduced me to the love of my life or something. You know, they're like, oh, wow, you introduced me to that girl. And now we're married with kids and living happily ever after. I feel like that is what he did for me with podcasting. Um, because when I look at my life now as opposed to before podcasting, I mean, Jesus, it's, it's just so much better on every possible level. Um, and in this episode, we talk a lot about podcasting itself. Um, you know, we both are uh, kind of products of the, the Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss generation, um, which is, you know, it sounds kind of almost like cliche to say because those guys are so popular, but you're not actually listening to rogan or tim ferris you're listening to the hundreds of other people that they have on their shows and you're you're slowly gaining information and um i think that probably you know joe rogan and tim ferris would be really proud to know what someone like brendan rue has done with that information he's created this amazing um this amazing company, Santa Cruz Medicinals, that now sponsors my show. Um, and along the same line, the other company that I have on this show, Mudwater, which is a chai mushroom blend. They do reishi, cacao, cordyceps, lion's mane. I drink it every single day, and it's fucking delicious. Um, he is also a product of 
this wealth of knowledge that's out there through podcasting. Um, and he doesn't just listen passively. He takes, he, he took that information and he started a business. Um, and that's special because that's never, that's never happened before. You know, podcasting is, is really new and, uh, I'm sure there are just a million stories out there like that, but the fact that it's happened within just within my friend group, um, the amount of friends that I have that have listened to podcast podcasts and um, become open to psychedelics and you know, went down to the Amazon and tried ayahuasca and it changed their life or um, started a float tank center or started two of these companies. Like it's it is a really um, a persuasive medium, just hearing an honest testimony from someone speak their truth um, and get it out to a lot of people. So I dig it. I love podcasting. I love Brendan. Um, and this was a fun show. I'm uh, really I'm feeling really motivated about this podcast and um, wrote down a huge list of people who I want to get on in 2019 from pro surfers to intellectual thought leaders to hunters um and i want to hear from you if you have recommendations for people who you'd like to hear me have a conversation with you can let me know on instagram or on my website kyle.surf just leave a comment there doing a whole revamp of my website we just launched the box of goodies which is a box of cbd coconut oil from santa cruz medicinals mud water and a book from an author who i've had on this podcast so last month it was 20 signed copies of blue mind by wallace j nichols and those sold out in about a day so i'm going to do probably twice as many this next month um and the book is going to be the psychedelic explorer's guide with uh by jim fadiman 20 um it'll be signed copies mud water santa cruz medicinals i'll let you know when those come in stock but it's all going to be sold on my website at half off um and i hope it i hope you dig it um you know i i think about growing this podcast i think about like what are the long-term goals and ultimately i just want to provide you guys who listen to this show with more value um i don't i really don't care about it becoming this fucking huge gargantuan thing i just want everyone who listens to this show to be really stoked um so i hope that this box of goodies makes you feel that and with that i'm gonna get this bad boy going please welcome to the show my man brendan rue kyle Tierman here i'm in cape town i was the only journalist in northern nigeria not an adventure until you get lost in tijuana you get caught inside by a giant wave you feel really alone i love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job Standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. I think a lot of uh, Americans are just under tons of inflammation, and they're starting to do some really good studies on inflammation and depression, inflammation and just every aspect of health. Really? Yeah. Mood, um, gut microbiome affecting how your brain functions, cognitive function, depression, all that. Yeah, isn't it true that um, most of your uh, m- most of your serotonin is in your gut? Absolutely, most of your neurotransmitters, all the neurotransmitters are produced in the gut. What does that mean? So, uh, it's it's a field that's it's relatively new. 
study of gut microbiome and the gut mind access and the the gut brain connection. But yeah, essentially they're discovering that 90% of your serotonin is produced in your gut. And so gut microbiome dysfunction, I mean, in my opinion, it's at the root of depression and a lot of stuff that we're going to figure out and functional medicine starting to get this already that if your gut microbiome is out of whack and it's kind of a trendy term to say, oh, my gut microbiome, leaky gut, but there's some hard evidence now that people with depression and brain fog, um, they almost always have some type of severe issues in their gut. I was listening to a podcast with a guy named Jeff Leach. Do you know who that is? No. So he's known as Pooh Jeff, and he lives part of the year uh, out in... Um, the jungle with a group called the Hadza, and he studies mm-hmm. their feces because they have some of the most diverse um, microbiomes Poo, in the world. Who Jeff? Who Jeff? Yeah, yeah, he was on tangentially speaking, and um, he said that it's not only what they eat that diversifies their microbiome, but it's their environment. Mm-hmm. So being exposed to a lot of different plants, animals breathing in nature can help diversify your gut biome. And he said that it's one of the greatest gifts to the environmental movement Mm -hmm. because the problem with uh, environmental topics usually is is that they seem so far away, Mm -hmm. right? It doesn't affect you personally. It affects some other person out there. But uh, the gut microbiome is so personal. It affects your mood. It affects inflammation, everything. so you can make the argument that having more nature in your neighborhood increases your mood because it diversifies your gut microbiome. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a whole science of fecal transplants. And that's, you know, people don't want to talk about their shit, you know, in, in many different aspects. People don't want to talk about it. Um, but it's critical. And it, it's it's difficult right now to walk into a normal hospital setting, Western medicine setting, and get an actual, like, panel of your gut do um you know an analysis of feces and and all that they're they're not quite there yet and you'll have to spend a lot of money going to a functional medicine doctor to get that done and i think we're going to look back on it and it's going to be something that i mean it's a severe issue right well we know already that a lot of people um you know a lot of kids that are uh they get diagnosed with adhd are just underslept. Absolutely. You know, you, you know that, as, as you're saying, with uh, depression and the microbiome, like a lot of it just comes back to um, a more holistic approach of your body, um, mm-hmm. not trying to do a Band-Aid. Have you always been interested in this kind of stuff? No. So I really wasn't turned on to much of this stuff at all until um, I was about 18, 19 in college and honestly just started delving into the podcast world. The whole Joe Rogan world, honestly. And um, yeah, it led me down a path of of studying all these things and experimenting. And later on when I went to UC Santa Cruz, um, I was studying anthropology. And what that allowed me to do was, it was was great studying it. Um, It was a really interesting subject, all that. But the biggest takeaway for me was learning to read PubMed studies. So if you go on PubMed and you type in anything you want to learn about. You can type in CBD, which I've obviously gone down that rabbit hole deep. Um, you can type in anything, gut microbiome and depression, read these studies. And while I'm not a scientist, I'm not an MD, if you learn to analyze these studies and read them, you can you can start to put this stuff into play in your daily life. And it 
it changes everything. Right. So did you, you can, did you start running little experiments on yourself? Absolutely. I started just yeah doing crazy shit sometimes. Like what? You know, like I mean, just all sorts of nutrients. I mean, I went. I've I've tried a bunch of different diet stuff. I just got into the. I mean, whatever you want to call it, biohacking is a term that's thrown out there. Just trying different shit and seeing what works and seeing how you feel and taking risks, maybe doing something that, okay, if I do X, I might not feel that great or I'm expecting this result. You're just running little studies on yourself. So I've tried the, the raw diet. I've tried a carnivore diet. Were you only eating meat? Yeah, only to meat. I didn't like that. That's what Jordan Peterson does. Yeah, I don't. I don't know about that. And reading some some studies, I don't. How'd your shit look after that? I mean, it it I wasn't great. I haven't pooped in three yeah. weeks. I hold my energy inside. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just, it doesn't seem you know. And I get uh, the anthropological view of it. Of you know, vegetables were a little more scarce, and our bodies evolved to eat that. But um, I mean, now I, I would uh, I would say my diet resembles sort of a paleo diet, but. Of course, studying anthropology, the whole paleo diet proponents and stuff, they, they sometimes don't grasp a lot of what our hunter-gatherer ancestors actually looked like and what life was like for them. How so? So, a lot of them kind of idealize it, and and my thing is, yes, we did experience greater health back then once you passed a certain age, and infant mortality was obviously rampant. But yeah, they experienced greater health, but it's not to say that if they had organic broccoli at a farmer's market they wouldn't be utilizing that right you know they're beholden to what's around them so kind of just borrowing from different things i guess is what has led to where i'm at now but yeah i would definitely encourage people to run little experiments on yourself would you keep a notebook yeah I, i would keep it logged in google docs um but pretty loose honestly like if i'm sitting here and telling you i detailed every single thing i did I'd be lying. No, right. you know, I would. Some stuff is really stuck with me. Cold thermogenesis, uh, heat and cold acclimation. I'd recommend for everybody. Why? So, obviously, there's a lot of studies on sauna um, that a lot of people have heard about. Uh, and I'm talking long sauna sessions. They but suck. if they haven't, what what does a long sauna session do for you? So, a 30 minute sauna session at 180 degrees or more, uh, it can increase your human growth hormone by up to 25 to 30 percent. Um, it can increase your cardiovascular threshold. So if you're injured, like you are right now, your arm's pretty fucked up. If you go sit in the sauna, your cardio is going to stay pretty baseline. And they're starting to have uh, high-level athletes do this. So if they're about to do a marathon soon, they don't want to really stress the actual muscles of the body too much. So they'll have them do long sauna sessions to bring that, that cardio threshold up. And you're not really damaging the muscles of the body. You're having to recover from that. So... Yeah, then there, there's heat shock proteins and cold shock proteins. Um, it's pretty complicated stuff. Uh, I wouldn't pretend to be an expert uh, at what those do, but yeah, I mean... And what does cold do? Cold is very similar. Um, there's a layer of fat in the body called brown fat, and cold seems to have a lot of immune system modulation. Uh, I know you experience... Are you still doing your cold plunges? Oh, yeah. Well, I haven't been able to with the... Um with this cut but mm-hmm. uh, since the surgery but it's starting to heal and I'm going to get back in there as soon as I can nice. and I have been going to the gym I got a membership there um, and I've been doing cold plunges and keeping my arm out nice and what do you what do you feel after you jump in the cold 
feel like goddamn Wolverine. Yeah. Yeah, ready to go kick some asses and take some names. Yep, exactly. And I think, I mean, it's funny. One of the one of the things with cold, I, I just took a really long cold shower this morning. And, you know, my girlfriend thinks I'm crazy. I'm breathing extremely hard in the shower. Some mornings it sucks, so I'm almost yelling, you know. And part of it's just doing something hard. Right. It's just purely psychological. It really is, man. And uh, we all will experience pain in life whether or not we want to. But I think that preparing for it um, is one of the best. It's really one of the best skills to learn. Um, Mm -hmm. So you're not surprised and um, caught off guard when you are in a really uncomfortable situation. I don't care who you are, but it's sooner or later, you know, when you get old, older folks are in pain a lot. Mm -hmm. And it is very psychological. And I've... um, since I did uh, the the motherfucker awards in December, when I was working every single day, mm-hmm. like it was the the best and most difficult thing I've ever tried to pull off. Um, I meditated every single morning, and I got the waking up podcast or the waking up app mm-hmm. with Sam Harris, um, and he has a meditation on pain, and he says that. The idea of uh, unbearable pain is actually erroneous because you, by being in this moment right now, have borne that pain already. Mm. And what you're really afraid of is that it won't end. The unbearableness of it is the fear of future pain. But rather than trying to distract yourself and not think about the pain, bore into the raw sensation of what it is. Yep. Is it throbbing? Is it stabbing? Um what is it that it really feels like? And I started doing that. Um, I wasn't in a lot of pain during um, that month leading up to the MOFAs, but um, I started thinking about my meditation sessions, any little sensation, sitting there for 10 minutes and feeling some back pain to really bore into what that raw mm-hmm. sensation is. And then when I was down in Costa Rica um, and I got strapped into a harness <laughs> to go kite surfing. Let yeah. me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, if it's powerful enough to power a city, yeah. it's power enough to kill you. It's powerful yeah. enough to kill you. Um, and yeah, they put me on this really big kite. And uh, it was the third day. I was really excited because it's a fun sport. Um, you get to go really fast, yep. really quickly. It's a lot like mountain biking where mm-hmm. you don't need to be good to go really fast. Um, but they put me on this big kite and it was as windy as windy conditions get. Mm -hmm. And I launched the thing and I just on the beach got thrown and it was partly my fault because I didn't let go. I tried to hold on to, um, I tried to hold on to it and it, it was the only true near-death experience I feel like I've ever had. Damn. Where after, I, all, after all that shit, surfing well, Mavericks Yeah, well, everything. there's a lot. And, you know, the, like, surfing Mavericks or something, it's something that I know how to do. So mm-hmm. even if it seems like a wild situation, um, I'm, I'm fairly in control because I've expected that to happen. And, um, and you, have a, you have a team around you when you do You that. also have you, a team around you, yeah, yeah. But it's something that um, this situation was so unexpected. Yep. I didn't know that that was even a possibility, that mm-hmm. that kite was big enough that it could slingshot me 20 feet across the beach and landed on my arm and snapped it. Um, and I was, you know, it was a couple hours to get to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And um, to be able to bore into what the raw sensation of having a snapped radius and ulna really felt like Mm -hmm. made it way more bearable and 
almost I don't want to say fun, but um, really special in the way that a difficult ayahuasca uh, ceremony can be really special. Where it's like, whoa, this is a unique human sensation, and you and I'm not going to get to feel this all the time. So let's be here. Yeah, you're able to look at it from an outside view a little bit, which is super important. And I think that's that's one of the keys in life because you're going to experience a lot of hardship in whatever it is. You know, there's a lot of struggle. And if you're able to kind of zoom out, it can allow you to reframe that situation tons. And it's really useful for me in business. A lot of the lessons that I have learned from ayahuasca have been tremendously beneficial in running this business of Santa Cruz Medicinals and just in general in my, my work life. Because when you're able to zoom out a little bit, your panic and your worry just dissipates hmm. and you're able to analyze stuff in a much more intelligent way and make smarter business decisions if you're able to zoom out and view it with humor it's another big thing another big part of uh my business santa cruz medicinals is my co-founder and i joe if you heard some of the conversations we have like we are we're just having a good time with it like yeah. we make all these jokes about our lawyer like we call our lawyer with you know like Hey David, we want to sue, you know, and he's like, "What? Well, like, I can't, I can't take that case." Like, and you know, we just we have fun with it, and um, it's kind of part of that zooming out. But it it takes work to to get there. Um, I think we've all interacted with someone who's in pain, whether it be actual physical pain or emotional pain, and they they you're trying to get them to to zoom out and view it from a different place, and they they can't. Right. So when did you get turned on to CBD? So CBD, I mean, I'd, I'd always heard about it, um, you know, when I was in high school, of course, weed is everywhere. So you heard THC, CBD. Didn't know too much about what CBD was. What does uh, it stand for? Cannabidiol. Yeah, it's the abbreviation for cannabidiol. There's THC, which is tetrahydrocannabidiol, and then cannabidiol, which is CBD. And... Once we, uh, when I was 18, you go get the medical cannabis card and you start going to all the dispensaries and that's when I started seeing more of it. Um, but still wasn't extremely interested in it until I started a lot of these biohacks when I was 19, 20 years old and started feeling the effects of, okay, when I'm dosing with three grams of turmeric extract a day, my pain post jujitsu feels less. And now let me take the turmeric out. Now let me not dose with that at all and see how I feel. So running these little studies and, and seeing, okay, there, there is a difference. This shit isn't snake oil. Some of it is, 100%. I mean, a lot of the shit out there is snake oil. But, um, you know, pairing supplements up with studies that are out there of, okay, what does turmeric extract do? What does it do to the body? Okay, this research from Berkeley says that it's beneficial. Let me try that dose. Let me increase that dose. So reading some of the studies on CBD, I started to use it but it was hard to find the dosages needed. When you look at the PubMed studies, and we have a lot of these linked on our website, scmedicinals.com, the dosages are 200, 300 milligrams, um, 100 milligrams. So looking at the products out there, I just didn't see that out there. And then Joe and I at the time were running um, a cannabis edible company in the Prop 215, the medical marijuana industry, called Aloha Edibles. And we were selling medical cannabis, coconut oil, and peanut butter. But it was just designed to, to get you high. Really, it, it was just THC, a lot of THC in there. A little drop of this stuff would get you really, really high. 
and it was selling well and it got me introduced to the business side of things but once prop 64 hit which is recreational cannabis so anybody with an id in california for those who don't know can just go buy cannabis at one of the shops or delivery services but it would have taken hundreds of thousands of dollars to to run a company in the prop 64 world so joe and i looked into the hemp derived cbd space and yeah there's an intense need everybody's just price gouging you know you send these products to a lab like sc labs which is the top cannabis testing lab in california they come back with no cbd it's just it's just a shit show and we were just like what if we what if we do something fucking right what if we create something that is, is really potent we don't price gouge we run the company with just me and joe we do it very minimalist so we're not fucking fundraising you know a shitload of money and wasting investors money and having to have in, intense price markups and yeah the result has been amazing and what does cbd do so cbd does a myriad of things basically your body has um a system called the endocannabinoid system there's cb1 receptors and cb2 receptors and this system is stimulated by anandamide which is a chemical that is released during exercise or you can endogenously take cannabinoids via thc and cbd there's a bunch of cannabinoids and that research is coming out there's thca there's cbn there's cbg and there's just not enough research on a lot of these other cannabinoids yet and there's definitely not enough research on thc and cbd it's extremely hard in the last decade to do research on it so the research that is out there um i mean it's 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 insane there's there's not that many human studies are really good human studies uh there's a popular 2014 study that shows uh, it was people with social anxiety giving a public speech and some of them were given a placebo and some of them were given CBD and the people given CBD reported I mean huge markers and that's the best speech I've ever given you know I don't have any anxiety when I gave that speech and there's some good studies like that Um, what it does is your endocannabinoid systems involved in immune regulation inflammation um, bone you know density and everything so that's why cbd has also been kind of coined as this like okay is it really a cure-all heal-all and and i don't think it is i'm not i'm not so much into the magic of cbd but i think it's a super and if you're someone who takes care of your body and you're taking turmeric or you're watching what you eat and you know you're into supplements it should be a part of your supplement routine for sure Right. And would you recommend people take CBD um, for pain? Absolutely. Okay. I, I mean... More than THC? More than just... No. So, I mean, THC has... It's... You have to find the dose of THC that works for you. Right. And I think a lot of people have had a, a bad experience with marijuana. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Ever yeah. since... Uh, my buddy Ty had his birthday at my house and my friend Austin, fuck you Austin, made a weed cake and didn't tell go. anyone that it was weed cake <laughs> okay. and I got vortexed into this very couch you're sitting on 100%, yeah. and then vomited all over myself. There you I go. vowed to never eat weed again. It was the only drug yeah. I ever made that promise with. And, <laughs> and since then I, I broke that vow and mm-hmm. I've taken it a few times uh, in smaller doses, yeah. which... Uh, Apparently has an effect, guys. The dose does affect the outcome. Yeah. But, uh, <clears throat> fuck you, Austin. We got back at him. We, uh, we, uh, you know what, um, 
like icing your friend is. Yeah. Like so, you got to They find the um, the the what is it? Smirnoff. Smirnoff ice, yeah. ice, and they got to get down one knee and chug it. Yep. Um, we had a uh, liquid Xlax, and we put it in. Oh, one. Okay. <laughs> and then we went into his car when he wasn't there, and we put a hundred live crickets in his backseat. <laughs> okay, yeah. just a war against Austin for yeah, them. an eye for an eye. Yeah, it's yeah. A little blind. It sounds like you're still after him. We're, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. So, so back to it. Yeah. So I mean, there's basically if you you can overdose a THC, mm. and it has a kind of curve where it just shit just goes horribly with it so that's why i think cbd is a really good intro to people who aren't familiar with cannabis um because it does have a especially vaporizing it which you, i'm sure you could talk about because we do sell a vape pen when it immediately enters your system you definitely feel something it's not a high that it is non-psychoactive but yeah i mean the, the big thing with hemp derived cbd is people don't have access to cannabis um i th- personally what i i like to take is I take our products, obviously, um, but there are products that are just sold in California in recreational cannabis states, which is full cannabis flour that's been bred to have higher levels of CBD, and they do a full-spectrum extract of that. If I could sell that nationwide, I would, but you can't. How do you extract CBD? So they basically... So it's complicated. Um, First of all, you... In order to sell it online like we do, it has to be grown in accordance with the 2018 Farm Bill. So the legal part of CBD is is a whole thing that we'll get into. It's Essentially, it was a Schedule One substance, but there was the Farm Bill. And the Farm Bill said that you can grow hemp in accordance with the state plan, and you can sell the extracts of this hemp. And it's it's very complicated waters. You know, we, we have lawyers and you know, they have their little disagreements on how to interpret the farm bill, but there are large companies out there shipping CBD uh, because of this farm bill and selling CBD, and that's what gives uh, CBD companies protection. So, basically, there's there's hemp farms, and you're just extracting it down. So, to get CBD isolate um, or CBD distillate, it, I'd have to have Joe explain to you the inner workings and details because he's worked in a lab before but basically they're taking the plant and they're getting it down to its raw molecule of cbd Mm. they're extracting out that molecule into a powder right and a lot of people talk full spectrum versus isolate full spectrum is great but it oftentimes will test hot for thc which can get you in a lot of trouble so we prefer to ship out products that'll test in at non-detectable amounts of thc man it is so crazy so i uh use the um i use the coconut oil every morning Mm -hmm. cbd coconut oil and then since i broke my arm have been using the vape pen which is subtle but it does help it takes away the acuity of it Mm -hmm. um and but it is it's all so subtle and it's crazy the hoops that you need to jump through to make this business work i feel like people like yourself like you you don't strike me as like the social activist type who grew up going to all the protests and saying, fuck the man, like I'm out here, we're going to tear this shit down. But there are, are, um, you know, if you move through the world and you're curious and you start digging into a little, a few of these topics, you almost become an activist without meaning to. Absolutely. So a lot of my passion comes from 
when I was younger, I had two really close friends die due to opioids. Just straight up due to opioids, overdose, dead. And when... Uh, were they on Oxy and then Oxycontin. switched to heroin? No. Or they just OD'd on Oxy? Um, one was Oxycontin, one was heroin. So it was horrible, you know? And there was, there was a big problem uh, just in general. I mean, you know, I'm sure you've had people affected by it. It's a... Oh yeah, Th- three of my close friends growing and, up got hooked and on every, Oxy. And everybody I talked to has that exact same story. Yeah. Especially with our generation, people are just like, oh, it's it's absolutely horrible. It's the leading cause of death in young people in America now. Yeah. And so, with through running this company and through working my day jobs in sales in the recreational cannabis world, so selling a multitude of products from uh, cannabis topicals, um, cannabis flower, cannabis vape pens, um, all that. So I've interacted with tons of people who have come up to me, even though I'm just the salesperson for the distribution company. I'll talk to people and be like, oh yeah, I actually sell that topical product. Be like, this got me off of opioids. I haven't used opioids. And there's some, there's some really interesting statistics about it. Um, there's a 2014 paper that didn't, uh, they analyzed uh, states that legalized medical marijuana. And there was a 25% uh, reduction in deaths from opioid use. Yep, I know that study. When we were researching for the Motherfucker Awards, mm-hmm. and we uh, Purdue Pharma, the amazing company yeah. that brought OxyContin to market yep. and then lied about its addictive properties, uh, they I, there was an article, um, maybe a Washington Post article or something like that about. Or do you know who it was? It was um, it was an article by the New Yorker called. Um, Oh gosh, Empire of Pain mm-hmm. about the Sackler family that owned Purdue Pharma. Do you know this about this? Mm-hmm. I don't want to get too far no, off no. topic, but it's it's really interesting. So the Sacklers are some of the largest uh, art philanthropists in the world. You go into the Guggenheim, the Sacklers have their yeah, own yeah. wing. You look at a lot of the most well-known paintings in the world, it'll say donated from the Sackler family. Um, so they're known as, you know, you go into most of the Smithsonian's. This name is cemented Mm -hmm. and they made their fortune from purdue pharma specifically from oxycontin Mm -hmm. the i mean their purdue pharma made 35 billion dollars last year um but the sacklers keep their names very far away from purdue yeah i wonder um right and there's this organization that does great work called sackler pain that uh calls them out and says look you can't claim to be this great american family and you brought the opioid epidemic Mm mm-hmm to us and now they're being sued uh new york state is suing purdue pharma um for their false marketing practices um so it is it's it feels like it's all coming full circle now um but man they sure did uh create quite a forest fire in this country absolutely and if you if if they look at that statistic i mean if someone takes 25 percent of a part of your business away I don't care who you are. You're going to try to fight that. That's just, and I'm not in, you know, I don't like to get too conspiracy minded and it. it's just simple business practices. If I run a pharmaceutical company and there's a new thing that's really popular and people are liking and, and it's taking away 25% of my prescriptions, I'm going to be pissed. I'm, I, and there's two ways to fight it. They're either going to jump in to the space or they're going to fight it legally, which I think they're doing right now. And it's, yeah, that's that's part of my motivation right there. Um, when you get these stories and these DMs of people being like, hey, this got me off of opioids. This I, I no longer use OxyContin. I haven't filled my prescription in three or four months. It's it's insane. And yeah. and you know, again, I'm not I'm not here to 
talk about like the magic of CBD and how it's going to cure everything. It's it's a multitude of pain is a very very complicated science. Right. And the science of pain is ever evolving and but I think it's something that a lot of people would benefit from incorporating in their daily routine. Right. And we want to make it affordable and the actual dose that works cuz I see some of these products out there and it's you're not going to get much from a 5 milligram dose of CBD. Are you familiar with a boga? Yes. Um that seems so a boga is a root in Africa that is also very effective in getting people off of opioids. Mm-hmm. Um and it's very it's similar to ayahuasca, but uh, they call ayahuasca the grandmother and iboga the grandfather. It's like more yeah, stern. It's much more stern. A twenty four to forty eight hour experience. Yeah, pretty brutal. Yeah, with a IMAX movie of everything you've ever done badly in your life right up in front of you. And I think that that's you know um, the psychology behind addiction mm-hmm. um, is something that's really important to address as well. It's not purely these receptors that are getting addicted it's um it is also what what is the there's this great quote by gabor mate said addiction's not the problem addiction is the person's attempt to solve the problem Mm -hmm. um and i think that a lot of these psychedelics can help with the cycle with the psychological addiction Mm -hmm. yeah and i think a big part of it too is community um and I think one of the big benefits of my life and listening to podcasts and getting involved in this kind of community, I don't know what to call it, you're definitely involved in it, um, is having like-minded people around you and having like-minded people in your ear so you just feel a sense of purpose and well-being. Because I think a lot of people who have suffered with addiction or depression, they just feel lost. Right. Whether they just feel different than all their friends or they feel that nobody around them likes the stuff that they like or they're not getting challenged enough. I think that's a really common thing. And this whole little community that you're involved with and tons of people are involved with, it's a community that likes to challenge themselves, you know? And that's super critical. Right. If you look at most people who are addicted and, and not living up to their full potential, they're they're not experiencing challenge. Right. It's loneliness as well, which mm-hmm. is... Uh, you know, you look at the you look at a, a drug like Oxy, and it is freedom and slavery all in one pill. Mm-hmm. It is this feeling of um, just immense f- freedom. Like, oh my god! When you're like, I was taken uh, not Oxy, but a, a similar one a few days for the few days uh, following my broken arm, and man, the feeling of that warm syrupy thoughtless no worries attitude is very attractive it'd be funny if purdue pharma just tries to like recruit you right yeah you just, you just go back you guys you yeah. gotta get on this shit but you, you uh, but, drop the santa cruz medicinal sponsor yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um you know but you can't have it all right mm-hmm. and and pretty soon that freedom turns into slavery when you can't stop um and i i think that uh where was i going with with that there's um you i think that a lot of especially creative people get addicted to drugs Mm -hmm. because they see the sickness in society they see um they feel isolated they feel different from everyone else and the way that we've set up our 
societies now, it's they're optimized for work. They're not optimized for happiness. Yep. Um, there was the study done in the 70s with Rat Park. Do you know about this? So the, yeah, the rats it, yeah. would, they said, uh, you know, rats will choose cocaine over food until mm-hmm. they die. Um, and then this researcher went along and said, well, what if we change the rat's environment? What if we make this rat park, this rat heaven where mm-hmm. they have everything that they need and the rats then changed their behavior. They went to cocaine, and then they did it once, and then they got off of it. Um, but there's a guy named Johan Hari, who I recommend. He, he uh, wrote a book called Lost Connections about um, addiction and about, about depression. And he, he agrees with you that it is um, largely this lack of community. And I think that podcasting is special in the way that it doesn't um, hit the part of our brain that, say, Instagram does, which is very reactionary. Um, it's very tribal. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see that attitude on social media where people are just willing to throw grenades at each other and say, oh, yeah. fuck you. Whereas podcasting, it models healthy adult communication, mm-hmm. uh, which we don't get very often. It, I, and I haven't found it in many other mediums besides podcasting where I might disagree with you, you might disagree with me, but we're going to hash it out. Yep. It's not going to be this CNN crossfire uh, format where we're just going to scream at each other until commercial break. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there, you know, you and I met each other probably four years ago now mm-hmm. and you reached out to me um, and told me to start a podcast. Yeah, harassed you to start a podcast. Dude, and yeah. I mean, it's been the best thing that's ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at from, the, you know, this all really started from the fact that we both listened to Rogan's show Absolutely. and it just spawned out into me being able to meet all these great people, all mm-hmm. these like-minded people. And, and at the end of a good podcast, feeling like a true, um, sense of nourishment mm-hmm. in a way that other, other mediums don't. Yep. And I think that it's because we, as humans need to, we need to look each other in the eye. We need to feel like we're a part of something bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to feel that kind of nuance in conversation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, yeah, it's pretty easy to see that you needed a podcast. You know, like, you're just that type of person. You're wealth of knowledge. You know, you connect well with people. I mean, I, I do that a lot to people. I have a lot of friends who have pushed into careers or directions, and I push pretty hard sometimes to, to people to go try stuff or do something. Um, but yeah, I, I think I've developed a kind of a skill for being like, oh, you need you need to try this. You well, I was always this. wondering what your angle was. I was like, who, all right, this kid, <laughs> this dude just keeps hitting me up and telling me I need to start a podcast. What's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, what's yeah. he going to ask for? When's this? And then you and Joe uh, helped me with the technology side mm-hmm. of it early on. Oh, you should get on this program, and here's how you, you set it up. And there's a little bit of um, back end work that t- that it takes to set up a podcast, mm-hmm. but. It, I mean, it's just so uh, poetic that you helped me start it, and then Shane Heath, who does Mudwater, helped me design it. Yep. Um, and now you guys are both sponsoring the show. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, if you were a really shitty person, I wouldn't have, you know, tried to help at all. Right. And, <laughs> like, uh, I, I, I always know with, with good people, it always comes back around. So, and that's what I would recommend for a lot of people is do stuff without expecting anything in return. Because if you're helping out good people, it will come back. And if it doesn't, then fuck it. You help somebody. Have you always had that mindset? No, I don't think so. I, I would I would say when I was younger, I was a little more selfish and closed-minded. But 
I I've cultivated that mindset based strictly on results and seeing that happen over and over again and taking those risks early on and and helping people and kind of feeling like fuck I just wasted some some serious time helping somebody but then four or five years later it comes back around and yeah so I I do it based on results uh, you know and it's it's kind of a selfish way of looking at it but uh yeah have you always been uh so confident Mm. Have I always been so confident? Yeah, no, I mean, you're, you're I, very, you're very yeah. self-assured in what you say. You're very calm. Like I've never seen you um, get thrown off. Yeah, I would say I've I've cultivated way more confidence in the last seven to ten years. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't always so confident. Um, when I was eighteen, I dropped out of college. And went to live with my cousin who lives in Kauai. And I picked up surfing over there. And that was the first thing that I tried where I sucked at it. Oh, just horrible. And then, you know, I came back here and I would surf in Santa Cruz. And the most humbling experience. It's obviously, you know, you're surfing and a 11-year-old kid busts a 360 in front of you. <laughs> you're just like, fuck, <laughs> yeah. man. You know, just like girls just dropping in on you, you know. And she's just like... Fuck, man. Yeah, well, it's so humbling because you can't even do it for like a year. And what I mean by that is like you're not even consistently riding waves no. for a year. Like no. you go out there and you're like, okay, I want to get better at surfing. And a lot of times you don't even catch a wave. Oh, yeah. You're like this is fucking yeah, bullshit. Yeah, you go out. You're yeah. like, oh, man, I'm ready. You have this image in your mind what it's going to be like, and it's not at all. Right. And um, sticking with that and getting to a point where like, yeah, I can go surf right now. The waves are, you know four feet whatever yeah i might go surf later and i'll have fun i'll catch some waves and i can do it now and and that that began to cultivate this um experience of uh, i started doing jujitsu in that same time um and same thing there you go there and you're just it it's a shit show you're getting fucking tapped you're getting mounted you know most of the people you roll with are going to be really cool some aren't you know especially yeah they're just it sucks. It sucks at first, but cultivating that mindset of, all right, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go into the fucking fire and into the hell and I'm going to do it. Cultivating that mindset develops confidence because then, I mean, shit just seems easy, you know, like in business or whatever it is, it's the same principles that are, that you deal with in a physical world. And that's why people often talk about exercise and challenging your body that it's going to help you in your daily life because of a lot of uh, biological effects of oh okay you exercise you're you're, you're going to feel this runner's high and you're going to feel better I, I think a lot of it's just um overcoming an obstacle and what that does to your behavior patterns and yeah i think it's it's a developed confidence mm. 100% where did you grow up grew up in Palo Alto okay yeah so right over the hill from here and then one of the most interesting things happened to me when I was younger. Was I used to get in a lot of trouble. So I got expelled from middle school when I was in seventh grade. And my mom moved me to Mexico with her. Just, you know, she spurred the moment. Another family friend was, was moving down there with uh, their family. And I moved to San Miguel de Allende, Mexico when I was 11. And just got thrown into this, this you know, no more friends, nothing. So... Had to meet new people. Uh, I learned Spanish, pretty decent Spanish. And I didn't notice that at the time, but 
looking back, that was definitely one of the most influential experiences in my life and super important. And I thank my mom a lot for that. It's like, yeah, thank you for doing that because yeah, it, it taught me a lot. Um, and started to develop that, that confidence of, okay, some shit can go crazy and you can be thrown into a situation. You'll, you'll figure it out. You'll navigate it. Wow. Yeah. Uh, how, how many years were you there before again? Uh, we were there for about a year and then, uh, I would go back every summer. Uh, I still have friends there to this day. I'm going to go back uh, in a few months. That's exciting. Yeah. Wow. And what, a um, how much you can open your world by learning a new language too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so then you went back to high school in Palo Alto yeah. and then decided, did you drop out of UCSC? No, I dropped out of St. Mary's college in the okay. East Bay. Um, I liked it. It, it was cool. Way too much money, and I just wasn't in the the. You know, I was majoring in business because I'm like, oh, maybe this is what I want to do. I had no idea, you know. We definitely should have taken a gap year immediately, which I do recommend for a lot of people, especially if there's any 17, 18 year olds listening right now in that mode of applying to college. Like, if you're not fully in, and that's not what you want to do, go like go travel, go do something, and that's what I ended up doing. I went and uh, lived with my cousin in Kauai. And then I went down to Costa Rica and traveled around there. Just It's just when I learned surfing. So I was just surfing down there and um, studying Spanish and just living. Yeah. You know? I always had a very uh, caustic attitude towards university because I didn't do well in school at all. Mm-hmm. I was a very bad test taker and I had a really hard time sitting still and mm-hmm. retaining information sitting still. Um, was always just incredibly difficult for me. Um, if I had different parents, they would have put me on Ritalin for mm-hmm. sure. Um, so I had to work to get C pluses. Mm-hmm. And then when I was... Um, a junior in high school, I started doing homeschool and that's where I was able to start doing documentary and going out into the real world. And, and this whole new, um, avenue of learning opened up to me where I realized that I could teach myself stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when, uh, when my friend Shane turned me on to podcasting, mm-hmm. um, I think I, I told you this story, but he came to my house one time. He's like, dude, you guys, you know, the first podcast I ever listened to was a Joe Rogan podcast yep. with Aubrey fucking Marcus. And it was like one of their early ones. Yeah, and he yeah. said, and he told his whole ayahuasca story and yep. we're like, holy shit, you guys, they're talking about such raw, raw yeah. stories here. I'm like, this is really cool. And I got into that. And then I got into, you know, the whole, um, uh, all of the other podcasts mm-hmm. and, I realized that that was my favorite way to learn. Absolutely. Um, and I could retain information really well. I have a, a very good auditory memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden, I, I just felt like I wasn't stupid. Yes, and that that's a big realization. Uh, I, I had that as well. Um, yeah, like I did not get good grades at all. Um, school was a fucking struggle. Just a struggle to sit there for hours, and it, it just sucks. I mean, did your parents push you to go to college at all, or were they kind of... They did, uh, but I would say the, the thing I have to thank my parents most for is that they um, allowed me to do what I wanted to do. And I ended up going to college, but it was an independent program called Gaia University that allowed mm-hmm. me to get an accredited degree in um, green business mm-hmm. uh, with an emphasis in media. And I could get the degree while traveling around the world um, 
doing documentary. Nice. So I learned for a college course how to write grants, uh, grant proposals for documentaries. Everything that I did was on a shoestring budget, you know, mm-hmm. seven to $10,000 for a documentary, which is not much money at yeah. all to be able to go down to Chile with a camera and start interviewing people. But I learned a lot of those basic interviewing techniques um, while making this series called Surfing for Change, mm-hmm. um, where I, we would uh, cover environmental issues, you know, through the lens of surfing. And, um, and it was great that they trusted me to do that. And they continue. So my dad does documentary film. Mm-hmm. He taught me a lot about how to, um, you know, get good audio. You got to get the camera close to the person's face. If you don't have lights with you, you want to put the camera, uh, you want to put the interview subject close to a window so you can use that natural light behind you. Um, and then my mom is, uh, I was kind of a social activist. So Mm -hmm. she would always put books in front of me, um, about the places that I would travel to. And all of a sudden it just felt so much more vivid and real. And there was a reason for me to learn the material. Because, mm-hmm. hey, oh, I'm going down to Chile. I'm going to read a book about the history of um, Augusto Pinochet mm-hmm. and the dictatorship, which I never would have paid attention to if that was put in front of me uh, in class. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, but th- there's real experience. It's it's funny how important our parents are and how much they, they do mold what we do. Um, I was reading an article the in the NBA. 48% of NBA players have a parent who is an elite athlete. Wow. And I think they qualified elite athlete as a college athlete, but it's just like, yeah, you're, you, if you, and that's again, coming back to community, if you see people around you doing stuff, it opens your mind to this whole thing of, oh, I can do that. Right. Cause I know this person and they're there. And once you meet them, they're not that fucking, you know, I've met, you know, people who I thought, oh my God, like I'm friends with people now who I would have never imagined like oh my god they're like a celebrity right oh god, a fucking completely normal person and that right there is the beauty of podcasts mm-hmm. is that you can have someone in your ear and it opens you to a new possibility it opens you to a new career it opens you to a new way of reacting to a situation yep how many times have you had it where you listen to a podcast and then two years later you find yourself in that situation okay now i'm negotiating and i remember Remember, I remember that thing that Tim Ferriss said about negotiation <laughs> skills. Yep. Okay, I'm gonna respond in that way now. Yep. And it's only because you had him in your ear a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, right now, I'm. I mean, my goal is I'm trying to essentially take some of what Tim Ferriss talked about, and I listened to a few years ago and read the Four Hour Work Week, and loosely, the idea for me is to create a few e-commerce ventures that I no longer have to work in a traditional model, right? I can I can wake up, travel, work on my computer, and, and that's it. And it never really seemed attainable to me, you know? And I just started, you know, we just started faking the funk. We just started <laughs> fucking like, yeah. well, all right, let's fucking buy this website and just, like, do this. Let's, like, get these products made and, you know, creating it and it just starts fucking working and then you're able to use all these tools that you've learned and it works. Right. And now it's, it's, I I think that I'll be there in a few years. Uh, you know, one of my goals of not really having to work a day job. Um, although my day job now I I love and it's extremely interesting, but, um, yeah, it's, 
it's insane of what having somebody intelligent in your ear and listening to them in a long form conversation can do because you get to hear them make little mistakes and not be perfect and you start to be able to deconstruct them a little bit and be like okay well yeah i, I can do this yeah i'm not perfect but i, I can i can get this done right it's super important you're like jesus kyle chairman's actually super insecure <laughs> 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 Really? Well, dude, yeah. Did you did you see the Fire Festival documentary that came out? No. Oh, you gotta watch it, dude, because I'm sure you <laughs> I'm sure you had some of those moments. Obviously the motherfucker awards was a success. But um the Fire Festival you heard of it, right? No. Okay, so the Fire Festival was this it was supposed to be a music festival in the Bahamas. And these guys, Billy McFarland and Ja Rule, uh, funded this whole thing and they raised tons of investment money and they flew out all these really famous influencers to the Bahamas and filmed all this video content to launch this music festival. Um, And then the music festival was supposed to, it was high-end tickets. You're talking tickets, $5,000, $10,000, $25,000 villas. And it was supposed to have Blink-182 and all these famous acts. And it, the documentary just, documents it crumbling to just pure shit it's amazing like it's just it every piece of it crumbles and you get to see what yeah how it can go extremely wrong i'm I'm actually glad it didn't come out before the motherfucker words because you might have watched it and had a panic because i'm sure there were parts of the motherfucker words and planning it where you're like how the fuck are we gonna oh yeah actually pull this off oh yeah well a few of the presenters guys like matt taibbi like he didn't text me back well he agreed to do it yeah he was one of the bigger names that we got um and then he wasn't texting me when i was like hey so (laughs) just double check in (laughs) see you on the fourth right Uh, and he texted me the day before hey sorry i've been on deadline i'll be there oh god jesus christ Uh, okay brendan we might need you to present an award like fuck um yeah then i'm the um monitor went out in the very beginning oh yeah yeah, I was just shitting myself. Yeah, well, I think that there's something to be said for um, keeping uh, the projects that you're involved in tight, like mm-hmm. tight with a group of people that you know. Don't try and make it too big, too fast. That's one thing that I love about podcasting is just you know I have this little setup here, get you on. Um, and there's not a ton that can go real wrong with mm-hmm. it, um, and I I tried to use that. Um, that thinking with the motherfucker awards, I was like, okay, what, what actually needs to happen here? Mm -hmm. And then what else can go wrong? And I think that, um, that, that, uh, saying of the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing Mm -hmm. is really right. So how do you, how do you bounce that though? Cause you do seem like someone who does really want to make an impact and get the attention of a lot of these people you're presenting the motherfucker awards to and in just that space. So how do you, how do you scale that up? Uh, you keep the main thing, the main thing, uh, you know, there, there's, as you know, doing business, there's a lot that can go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always would make a list before I would make these, um, these short form documentaries, um, before I'd go on the trip of the minimum sufficient shot list that I needed. Mm-hmm. And if all else failed, what are the main shots and the main points that I need while I'm on this location in this location because and a, a lot of that is the shots that you can't get after the fact mm-hmm. because there's and and when you do documentary for example um you don't need 
a lot of information from the people you're interviewing, you need emotion mm-hmm. because emotion is what you can't recreate after the fact. Yep. Because I can go in uh, as a narrator and just put B-roll over a shot and 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 set it up, or mm-hmm. I can say all the facts that I need, but I can't say that this person was crying. They need to actually do that, or they need to to show um, how it, what it feels like to be there. Um, so that's an essential shot. And I think that with uh, you know with the motherfucker awards, I, I did the same thing. What are the the main thing is that the comedians are good. And if all else fails, um, like if the AV goes out or if certain people don't show up, the main thing is that the comedians do funny acceptance speeches. Mm-hmm. So I put most of that, I, I put most of the um, the emphasis on that, and then we need to shoot it really well. So I put mm-hmm. a ton of emphasis on the production team having really slick cameras, and we had a good edit team. We worked with Lensfire Films. Um, and I knew that if we pulled off just those two things, we would have the assets that we needed. Um, so I, I, I would say that um, probably what happened with the fire festival, I haven't seen the movie, <laughs> but it's easy to get lost in the details. Yeah. Um, and then the main thing starts to slip away. And it's like a house that's not built with a sound foundation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, their, their shit was, yeah, it's. It was fucked up from the jump, but so do you do that with a lot of projects? When you're starting a new project, do you boil down the main points and just kind of focus on that and everything else is kind of icing on the cake or is that your process? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that psychedelics are immensely helpful Mm -hmm. through that process because it's hard to know what the main thing is sometimes, whether it's with a project or with a relationship. A Mm -hmm. lot of the you know relationship conflicts it's not it's not usually what you think it is Mm -hmm. um and it can take stepping back and having all of the bullshit fall away whether that's through through meditation or through putting your phone away for a few days or through psychedelics to um have it rise into clear view so i i think that um it's not only the main points of like, all right, here's, here are the shots that I need. Or it's, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Like, what's the, if the question is to grow the business or the question is to like, why are you doing the motherfucker awards? Um, there is that question behind how are we going to pull this off, which mm-hmm. is why do you want to pull it off? Yeah, that's a, the, the why is, is a very difficult thing to get out of people. Um, when I was going to UC Santa Cruz, I was doing corrective exercise training and personal training for people. And honestly, that is just like a psychological, it's a completely psychological thing. Like, yeah, you give them the exercises to do, but how I would get success out of people is getting them to tell me why the hell they're here. Why are you in this personal training office? What are you doing here? And when you get that out of them, it's pretty fucking easy. They're going to show up. They're going to be there. They're going to put in hard work and they're going to get it done. But if you don't ever get that why out of them, which sometimes you really can't do, they don't know. And it's it's difficult to extract. And yeah, so that's that's a hard part of life, man, is figuring out the why. Right. And I've engaged in projects where I wasn't doing the, the why for the right reason. Before I started my podcast, this is kind of between when I was doing Surfing for Change and when I started doing the podcast, I was approached by Discovery, uh, Discovery Digital Network. They wanted to do a YouTube series with me called Making Mavericks, mm-hmm. um, where I would do weekly YouTube videos. Um, they had a production team that would help me with this. And it was all about my goal to get into the Mavericks big 
big wave contest. Mm-hmm. Um, I love surfing Mavericks. It, it does come from a very personal place. I feel like the why there is in the right spot, which is that I it challenges me and forces me to have a conversation with myself when I'm surfing big waves that is so personal mm-hmm. that I really learn more about who I am. Yep. Um, but getting into the contest has never been that important for me. Mm-hmm. It's just, it would be cool to surf on one of the best days of the year with just five other guys out, mm-hmm. but that has never felt like this internal fire that I've really had to, I want to get into the contest and I want to win. But for discovery, they needed that, um, they needed that goal to sell the series. Yeah, it draws a lot of eyes. It draws a lot of eyes. They were getting sponsors on the show. I was making pretty good money mm-hmm. uh, doing this YouTube series, but it was fucking vapid, dude. It was me doing selfie, a selfie video of like, hey guys, all right, so here we are. We're going to do some training now. Yeah. And it's like, it was cool for a couple of them. A couple of the videos were funny. They were great, but it was so self-indulgent. Mm-hmm. And just as... Um, the podcasting world to be a good podcaster you need to be really curious the youtube world is so fucking vapid and circle jerky and just egotistical Mm -hmm. that i i was like i can't do this like i feel so gross and so like this isn't why i'm here Mm -hmm. like my like my offering or whether it's you know media getting myself out there is not that like hey i'm this great athlete and i'm gonna show you how to be a great athlete too and it's just i'm gonna be inspiring to Mm -hmm. you um and i burnt out on that man like after a year the money was there the support was there but i was i was like this is not me man and and i'm not going to i'm not rushing to my computer to watch other youtubers mm-hmm. who are just videoing themselves taking shits every day and getting millions of views um i'm listening to rogan i'm mm-hmm. listening to tim ferris i'm listening to chris ryan people who are curious and generally want to bore more deeply into themselves through this process of of curiosity absolutely um it's funny with with your surfing ida in the beginning, I had to kind of encourage you to just interview the people right around you. Because I feel like sometimes you kind of have this blasé attitude towards Mavericks and that whole, you know, it's like, you're like, I don't know who to get on the podcast. I'm like, dude, interview your roommate. Right. You know? yeah. And you're like, but he's an idiot, dude. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> interview my roommate. I'm like, no, man, people, people like, want to like, hear no, from dude, He's like one of the best big wave surfers <laughs> in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love you, Tyler. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, and, and I agree. I think yeah. that the... Um, you know, some of the biggest feedback I've had on this podcast have been with uh, episode, episodes with people who are big wave surfers because I've had a chance to do a kind of peer journalism. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've come to realize the value of it is, is that it's not I'm not interviewing them from an outside space. Yeah, you're not going to ask the the what's the it like to surf a typical, big wave yeah, when you're going down that face like what right. is going through you know you're not going to get those typical questions so i think why people find big wave surfing and surfing so incredible in, in general is most people have been in the ocean most people have experienced the challenges of just being in the ocean in whatever form they've been in there yeah. and boogie boarding or fucking surfing or just swimming through the waves and seeing people do that elicits the response from their brain of saying, how does somebody get to that point? Right. And you can extrapolate that to anything. So 
Yeah, I was in the beginning. I was encouraging. I was like, dude, just fucking use that. Just use it a little bit. Right. You know, I know that sometimes you're. Resistant. Yeah, but it's I'm I'm way more okay with it because I'm just kind of shining the spotlight on other people. Yep. And how's this, Brendan? Real. All right. So you got me to start this show. I then started doing uh, podcasts about ayahuasca, mm-hmm. and then I got a and I had Jamie Mitchell, who's one of the best big wave surfers in the world, yep, ten yep. time paddleboard champion. Absolutely, um, I've had him on the show. He then went to Rhythmia, okay. that serves ayahuasca mm-hmm. and did ayahuasca, and then did a podcast with me about his experience after that. that. So badass. you you got Jamie Mitchell to do ayahuasca. <laughs> <Okay>. Yeah, great. <laughs> DEA, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't do that. If you're listening, um, yeah, yeah. And so, when when was the first time you did ayahuasca? Uh, about three years ago. And it was the first time in Costa Rica. First time was in Costa Rica, and I did it. Um, I've done it maybe five times since then. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, man, it's hugely beneficial for me. Um, Absolutely for Same that here. that kind of. Uh, breaking away of all the bullshit um and realizing what yeah what's the what is it that you're really here for it mm-hmm. co- and it comes comes up pretty quickly man i i think that my uh, kind of along the si- same lines of like doing a youtube series versus podcasting um i used to I, I used to really annoy, like if I looked at my 19, 20 year old self now, I think I'd be really annoyed with myself because I felt this need to make my mark and always put myself in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the surfing for change series, like I'm the producer, creator and host. And I think that there were a lot of, um, choices that I made back then, even just like shot choices to put myself on screen mm-hmm. as much as possible, largely from a fear that I am just a, you know, C grade pro surfer from Santa Cruz. Who's not going to mm-hmm. do anything, doesn't have anything interesting to say. Mm-hmm. So it was like this kind of compensation, you yep. know, like big trucks and small dicks kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was through psychedelics. Like I remember on one specific trip, this was a, an LSD trip. Um, that I, I had in Big Sur, um, where I was on top of this mountain. The Big Sur has these beautiful, majestic mountains. It was in the springtime, right after a rain, so it was green grass and all these mm. purple f- wildflowers covering the landscape. And um, I was looking down at the ocean, which Big Sur, it has granite bottoms, so mm-hmm. the um, water's really clear. You, know, you can see 40 feet down sometimes. And I was looking across the horizon, tripping under uh under this tree and i remember thinking that i was like i exhaled and i could feel my breath move out over the ocean and this kind of fractal grid appeared and i realized that i it wasn't about me making my mark like shouting and being like this is me check me out but that it's like that energy if i didn't care too much about who got the credit Mm. could move all the way across the ocean in a really special way and at a certain point it's just about getting out of your own way and that that was the message there was that it's like no dude you don't need to be the fucking center of attention all the time and you can be way more effective if you're not Mm -hmm. and um i kept that learning with me through the motherfucker awards um 
where it you know chris and i hosted the show but it wasn't at a certain point it wasn't our show at a certain point it's it's the comedians and the presenters comedians that are doing all of it and um i remember the moment like while i was there backstage and we saw matt taibbi or we, we had matt taibbi um present the the award to chase bank they're the number one financier of tar sands energy um they're pioneers in virtually every species of financial crime there is Mm -hmm. um and he was holding a trophy and then he got uh he presented it to natasha legero and moshe kasher Mm -hmm. and he's like congratulations motherfucker and uh i just remember thinking like fuck yeah we got these these people in the same yeah. room together yep and banking has always been my thing i just th- i think that the banking system if more people understood it if more people got riled up about it we would solve so many issues in our fuck country yeah. but it's just that it's so complicated that people don't really care about it but mm-hmm. it's it's so important and and matt taibbi is such a great journalist because he breaks it down for people yep um he has a book that i just read called griftopia all about um, the banking collapse and it's really entertaining but I remember that moment like and it, it behind the stage thinking like this is what that LSD trip was about yeah it's yeah, not yeah. it's not that like I'm out there explaining all the shit to you it's just yeah you created, we got you created these two else, world, yeah. we got these two these people from different worlds mm-hmm. in the same room and that's the power of it how did you get Chris Ryan to do the motherfucker boards because he, he seems like a guy who just moves to the beat of his own drum, you know? Like, I was just listening to his podcast. He's like, yeah, I think I'm going to stay in Bali for a little longer. You got right. this government shut down. I'm going to wait for that to, you know, like, how do you get that well, guy to, there's a lot of work, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, it was, we came up with the idea together. It's not, mm-hmm. it was not my idea. It was our idea that mm-hmm. was, um, we couldn't have done it without each other. Yep. Um and Chris came up with the name. We were, I, I was at his house um, one morning because I sleep in his driveway when I'm in LA <laughs> for these long stints. And uh, I was talking about this, uh, I was writing an article for um, the Inertia, which is a mm-hmm. media outlet that I, I write for uh, about Earth Day. Mm-hmm. And Chris was like, Earth Day is such a, st- such a stupid concept. <laughs> this idea that we're going to have one day for the Earth. All right, yeah. Mother Earth, here you go. And uh, he's like, that's fucking, it's so silly. It's this self-congratulatory circle jerk of environmental organizations. Mm -hmm. Like, we should be celebrating all the people that fuck Mother Earth. Yeah. Like, the the real motherfuckers. And we paused and we're like, the motherfucker awards. Mm -hmm. And I sat down and I wrote what you see on the site um, right now, which is, uh, there are already plenty of awards that celebrate... um, Efforts to protect the natural environment, mm-hmm. but let's face it, Mother Earth is losing, and it's time the winners got their due. And it was within 15 minutes we were like, "Oh, my, I was like, oh my god, we could get all these journalists, and we could get these comedians." And Chris was like, "Oh my, you know," because it felt similar to what you were saying earlier about like, dude, just get your friends, the people that you have access to. Mm-hmm. And between the two of us, we had access to all of these these oh, folks. Yeah. And Chris then was like, "Okay, well, um, uh." You know, this sounds fun, but like you do it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like that's where and but I felt yeah. that that energy. Like you get it. When you yeah. when you meet someone who you're gonna know for the rest of your life, when an idea comes that's really special, there is um it's like the sound of a, a bat hitting a ball and you know it's a home run. Mm-hmm. 
um, the idea was it felt so perfect because it wasn't just vulgar. We're not just like motherfuckers. It's like no, it's it's a play on the word. Yep, and it's fun. We can incorporate comedy into it. Um, yeah, I mean, dude, no nobody wants to listen to someone fucking talk shit to them because they have a piece of plastic right there. Right. You know, like I mean. Dude, I'm sure a lot of people feel this way. Like, you're that guy in my ear a lot of times when, like, I'm like, fuck, I gotta go get a fucking Fiji water at the gas station. And then, you know, but you're not in, you're not in my head, like, fuck you, Brendan, you shouldn't be doing that. You're, you're a piece of shit. It's like some cool stat that you said about the company, you know, that I actually find fascinating. Right. It's, it's different. And I feel like a lot of environmentalists and stuff, it's just, People just get bogged down by that. And it doesn't matter what you're talking about. If you're fucking, if you're annoying about it and you're talking shit to somebody about it and t- calling them less than, they're not going to be inspired right. to do anything. Well, it's the same antics of uh, getting laid. Like, you know who get laid, gets laid? Like people giving high fives who are laughing a lot, yeah. who are fun to be around, you know, don't get laid environmentalist um, <laughs> no they're but people who are yeah. bummed out um and i think that it's it's just something that i've never identified with because it's so draining you mm-hmm. know if you're around some of these people it feels like you're in cold water and they're just zapping the energy out mm-hmm. of you um so i think that and and you need to unfortunately um sign on to all these other qualities if you like if if people introduce me as an environmentalist that's like the worst thing ever because all of a sudden they're like, Oh, okay. You're, you're pretentious. Mm-hmm. Um, you think you're, you're better than us. You don't know how to communicate in any kind of entertaining way. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately like that's, you know, people think about environmentalists that way, but I don't, I don't think they need to because, mm-hmm. um, the environment is our natural world. And I think that um, there's, you know, the human optimization movement has done a really good job um, teaching people what it takes to make behavioral shifts. Yep. Right. I I think another key point is that people listening that that want to make a big change in the world, there's a really good talk. uh, One of the first guys at Facebook, um, this Sri Lankan... Uh, he was a one of the first guys over at Facebook, and he started a thing called Social Capital. And there's a really good talk that he gave at uh, the Stanford MBA school, and his whole point was get the fucking money. I mean, what I'm trying right. to do right now is is I'm trying to make a shitload of money so I can make change. You know, you have a lot of people going around here, and they want to change the world, and they're environmentalists, and I'm sorry, you're broke. And right. that, that's Please live a s- intelligent life. Do not fucking, you know, waste and fucking throw away plastic in the ocean. Please don't do that, of course. But if you want to make some big changes, you have to have some capital to do that. Right. I mean, look at Bill Gates and, and some of the stuff that he's done. And he's barely spending his fucking, you know, like he's throwing fucking right. pennies, basically. It's like, I'm trying to get the fucking money. What if I, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna make some donations to MAPS. What if that donation could be $5 million? Right. I think that's completely attainable. So. Yeah, because then you're sitting at tables where you can actually create change. And another aspect of the environmental movement that I have never been, um, that I've never identified with is that 
not only do they not make money, but they have an aversion to making money. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of people think that it's evil if you want to go out and do good work and make money. Um, so the result is a brain drain where you get um, a lot of smart people moving into the private sector, a lot of smart people working for companies that um, externalize all their costs. Yep. You know, Purdue Pharma has an excellent marketing team. Um, Chase Bank has an excellent marketing team. They have really smart people mm-hmm. there because they can pay for it. And I think that um, we need to change that culture. I, I want to see people who are doing good work in the world getting paid the most. Mm-hmm. Why is it that we get angry at, you know, if the the CEO of Surfrider were to be making $3 million a year, people would be outraged that they shouldn't be making that kind of money, that mm-hmm. that money should be going back into direct action. But if you want to get smart people there and keep them there, you got to pay them well. Yep. And we have no problem with Jamie Dimon, the uh, CEO of Chase, uh, making $5 million. What a name. Jamie Dimon, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just to, to circle back around that, the, the final point about, about Chris and I like making this thing happen is that um, Chris is very good at um, that kind of breaking away of all the bullshit to um to recognize what's important and what ideas are really good um so uh sex dawn is a good example of that like it's it's an idea that then has so much um there's so much deepening within it how do i how do i put this like there are a lot of ideas that don't last Mm -hmm. um like a lot of TV shows where there's an idea for a show and the first three episodes are really good, but there's just not enough in the idea to go deep. And Chris is an idea machine and he like he comes up with the, these ideas all the time. Like he has this one for a book that he talks about um, called Zero Steps to Optimal Health. Uh, and it's it's all about kind of making fun of the human optimization movement yeah, yeah. and how the best health that you can get is by getting enough sleep, um, doing a lot of what hunter-gatherers did, mm-hmm. and cutting away all of the bullshit. Absolutely. And which is an idea that there's the book right there. Yep. Like, oh my gosh, there's so much that you can do with that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so through the whole process of, as I fundraised for the MOFAs and got a lot on, Chris was really good, I think, at being that kind of beacon towards what's really important what mm-hmm. are, what are the ideas that have real juice um and i i learn a lot from that guy man he's it's pretty cool that he lets me hang around him and helps he helps me with my writing and helps me with this podcast it's um yeah he, he's fun. one of the more unique people out there because he just he genuinely seems like he doesn't give a fuck you know like he's yeah. really moving to the beat of his own drum and again i think I mean, I want to get to a place where I can, because I mean, part of the reason that he can do that, because he can make a living kind of anywhere doing whatever, you know, he could go to Bali and, and get something going out there and people want to interact with him and he can, he can make a living doing that. And just like running a business, if I can create a business that makes a lot of money or a few businesses that make a lot of money, I can make changes in in a way broader sense, like with our Santa Cruz medicinal thing, we've cut out a lot of those plastic pack. Anytime you buy a supplement or whatever there's, it's covered in plastic. I thought, why, why do we have to do that? You know, I mean, a lot of the consumers buying this stuff, they don't give a fuck. 
they get that thing, they throw it off, like, oh, that sucks, I had to do that. There's it, it, simple changes like that. And I think, you know, if you have a giant company that's doing that and that talks about it, and, hey, your product isn't going to arrive with a plastic seal on it. If you don't want that, don't choose our company. Right. You can make changes in consumer behavior, and that's where the change comes, I mean. So what uh, role have psychedelics played in your life? So my first experience with psychedelics was psilocybin. And it was a pretty typical college dorm room experience, psilocybin. So I, I did that, and it was cool, pretty decent experience. Didn't get too much out of it. Um, I think the the big piece comes from, obviously, a lot of people listening to this podcast have heard it's set and setting. And I think the set and setting does more than the actual medicine sometimes. Um, I think a big... So I went to New Life Ayahuasca in Costa Rica. Highly recommend it. Um, relatively affordable place. Uh, really good people. Um, you know, there's medical staff. There's a pool. There's a hot tub. I don't. I don't think you have to go to the jungle and you know fucking struggle and in, in the dirt to to get the experience. I mean, you went to Rhythmio, which is like yeah, the it's, most it's bougie. Pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty yeah. nice. You Gotta know. do some ayahuasca and then get a colonic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's and it's it looks like a beautiful place and New Life. Um, Beautiful place. I mean, pool, hot tub, fucking small group. But the overall experience of setting your intentions and spending the day before um, with the shaman and they're American shamans to speak English. uh, That seems to be where more of the benefit comes from. I mean, the actual medicine is critical. Again, I I always geek out on what it does to the brain and, okay, it's going to turn up the oxytocin but reduce kind of some of your fear receptors so you're going to be able to look at stuff from a different light and whatever you're thinking about during that experience is going to be in a neurochemical state that you're not in typically i mean if i think about things that happened in my past right now i'm going to frame them within whatever's happening in my brain right now you know if i think about some trauma that happened i'm going to think about it and whatever neurotransmitters are happening right now is how i'm going to frame it and if you can reframe that in different neurochemical states there's going to be something that happens there but if you do it with no set and setting or if you're not in a good place in your life i I wouldn't recommend it if you're at a good place in your life and you have your shit kind of together i would fervently recommend it right you know so it's one of those things it's kind of a double-edged sword of people ask me should i go do psychedelics i'm like yeah, it all depends. Yeah. Yeah, it's like should I go surfing? Well, it depends on where. Yeah. Um so how has that affected the way that you think about yourself, think about the world? So again, kind of being able to zoom out, right? Um it it starts kind of from a microcosm of like just my interactions day to day with people, my girlfriend, my family, um being able to hone in there and smooth out those relationships. I mean, what what person have you seen that's successful and the relationships with their friends or their loved ones are just severely fucked up? And it's tough. I mean, I know a lot of people out there have families that it's not much to salvage there, but coming to a sense of peace in those immediate interactions that you have with people on a day-to-day basis, I mean, you have to start with a foundation. And that's been the biggest thing for me is... uh I've had some people in my family do psychedelics now. Uh, my girlfriend drank ayahuasca with me, and she's done psychedelics. And 
I don't know, man. I'm still trying to figure out if it's the actual psychedelics that do it or if it's it's more the mental state of putting yourself in that healing mode, right? Because I'm like, obviously the psychedelic. I mean, there, there's, you know, a massive effect from doing them. And I think about certain stuff when I'm, when I'm doing it and in that state and I'm, I'm able to journal and, and get some profound knowledge from it. But I think overall the benefit of it is I'm just putting myself in that, that healing mode and like, you know, my girlfriend and I are putting us in that state of, okay, Hey, if there's an issue between us, we're going to talk about it because we're people that go after shit. That's scary. And okay, we're going to sit down, sit face to face and talk about this. Or, you know, if there's some shit going on with, with my dad, I'm going to sit him down and talk to him about it instead of just letting that like, boil over or some shit with a friend and i think that's more the benefit of it right honestly yeah it's it's almost like we're these um like like our the right thing to do is all like the universe pushes us towards the life we want to want to lead like the universe should gives us these little hints and um if you want to listen to them then you can get your life realigned real well. It's like your body wants to sit in a good posture, mm-hmm. but through um, sustained, you know, sitting crouched and uh, and shitty posture, it'll get out of whack. Yep. But it want you know if you do a chiropractic adjustment, it wants to slip back into place mm-hmm. pretty easily. And I think that whether it be psychedelics or just turning your phone off and going for a walk, mm-hmm. it's kind of like that chiropractic adjustment that that allows you to see those hints a little bit more clearly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but in order to not slip back, I think a lot of people need way more discipline. I see a severe lack of discipline out there with people. I mean, one of the most beneficial things you can do is establish a morning routine and stick to it and be disciplined. You know, and different things work for different people, you know, in terms of working out. Some people have a specific list of exercises they need to do. But overall more discipline right way more discipline it, it does lead in my opinion to more happiness um yeah and i think that it, look i uh psychedelics are also something that i think can be because there's the fireworks they're mm-hmm. really exciting but it's not the point like the, the point is to take those learnings back into your life yeah. um and get it into routine. Um, and I, I mean, for me now, what I, I do a lot of times is I have a little stick of Palo Santo and I mm-hmm. light it and I'll do a 10 minute meditation in the morning. And I feel like I can, those hints become more clear. Yep. Um, if you give it the space. Yeah, absolutely. My man, we've been going for a while. Um, where can people get in touch with you? So you can find me on Instagram at BRUH44, BRU44. Um, follow santa cruz medicinals on instagram and i run that instagram page uh, so dm me there and and i'll get back to you and yeah that's the best places to find me scmedicinals.com to view our product line um a, a little bit about our products before we wrap up i mean what we do is we make super potent cbd formulas so we put the proper amount of cbd in there for you guys to get a daily dose and it's affordable it's not, you're not going to fucking waste your money. We send these products to third-party labs to get them tested for potency. Uh, we use pesticide-free CBD sourced from Colorado. We don't use Chinese CBD. We jar products in glass to prevent BPA leaching. Um, the edible products are combined with fat to increase absorption. We're just trying to do it right. 
I like it. I'm going to take that for the next ad read. Yeah, there you go. Um, Steal that. Well, and and once again, man, I'm just uh, really grateful to know you and uh, really appreciate all that you've done to help me start this podcast and uh, encourage me um, to really go for it. Thank you, brother. um, Thank you, Brendan. Thank you. Keep pushing. That's our show. I'm going to play you out with a song called Where's My Bagel from Light the Band. They are a groovy Santa Cruz jam band. I will link to their band page in the show notes as well as on my website, kyle.surf. That's where you can leave comments about this episode, about this show. Leave me recommendations for new guests. Check out the box of goodies when I get the new order in. You can donate on Patreon um, if you're feeling extra generous on kyle.surf. If not, uh, totally no worries. Keep listening to the show. One thing that is very helpful is leaving ratings on iTunes. So if you like this show or if you hate it, um, go to on your podcast app. Just leave a rating. It takes a minute and it helps boost the visibility. Um, so thank you to everyone who does that. And with that, I'm, uh, I'm going to head out to do a hunting trip next week. Um, We'll see how it goes with my broken arm, but I signed up for this a while ago, so I'm going to get some good hunting podcasts in the field um, in the weeks to come. Can stay tuned for that. One last big thank you to Mud Water and Santa Cruz Medicinals. Check out all the good work and products that they sell uh, in the link below or on my website. With that, high five everyone. Thanks so much for stopping by and get out in the water. Weather's great.